Input. Output. Hi, this is Input Output, and I'm your host, Mark Yarm. Today on the Input Output podcast, we've got two stories that explore the ways we deal with death online. To anyone grieving. To anyone who has lost someone close to them. We want you to know that it's normal to feel sad. It's normal to feel shock. To feel fearful, scared, or anxious about the future. Or worried about death. It's normal not to feel anything at all. Or to feel angry all the time. Saying goodbye to your loved ones is already hard enough, but that feeling is magnified online, especially when the news of someone's death comes unexpectedly via apps like Facebook or Twitter. Ray Witte recently wrote an InputMag.com piece about how we process death on social media. Here she is reading an excerpt from her piece. One day, I learned that my friend was dead when someone wrote RIP on her Facebook wall. No warning, nothing. I was frantic. Calling college roommates I only speak to a handful of times a year. I jumped to conclusions and scoured the internet until someone had answers for me. It was a terrible feeling to see a stranger write RIP on her wall next to Facebook's typical onslaught of engagement announcements and new baby photos. Welcome to the show, Ray. Thank you for having me. So you write in this piece about death and Facebook. How has Facebook changed the way people learn about and interact with news that a friend or a loved one has died? I think social media as a whole has really numbed us to finding out about death. It's much easier to come across it, like I said, mixed with so many other emotions from so many other places. I mean, you could find out that someone died and it would be next to a cat meme. You know what I mean? That I think it's really easy to kind of see it and push it to the back of your mind where in the past, I believe it was more personal and or someone would call you one of the girls in the story even said a friend of hers said to her, well, it was online. Like, how didn't you know? And she didn't know that her former roommate had passed away for like six weeks. And she was like, what do you mean? I don't live online. How would I know? Right. As you cover in the piece, there's this sort of expectation that people are constantly checking their feeds. So they should know that somebody passed away. I know that I felt it. And some of the people I spoke to for the story have felt even that there's this pressure to display you're grieving, which I think a lot of the reason I wrote it is it came like right after Kobe passed, right after Pop Smoke passed. I remember watching the Super Bowl with a group of friends and across the timeline, someone that I didn't know well, but somebody that was very good friends with a lot of my friends and the people I was with, we saw it come across the timeline that he had passed. I don't know. I mean, I guess that like death is never like so... Like you're never prepared for it, but I mean, I don't know. You're watching the Twitter timeline and the Super Bowl at the same time. And all of a sudden you find out that someone, a loved one is gone. It's just a very strange thing with, without, it's not like a phone call comes in and you, or you get a text from someone you love and you have the opportunity to call them back. You're stumble across this information and then you're just like, okay, you're forced into grieving, handle it right this second or you file it away. And as you point out in the story, sometimes you get false information. I was so grateful that that woman chose to share her story as well. And of course, chose to remain anonymous. But we talked at length about how the guilt that had overtaken her was somebody that she had lost touch with. 
how she felt she should have been there, how she could have done more. And the person had passed from an overdose and the person was still alive and in rehab. I mean, it must have been a relief, but... uh... But then that's a whole other type of processing that happens. She has to then like, do I reach out to her? Do I reach out to her family? We haven't been in touch for so long. She's not gone. Like there's just so many layers of it. So is there any way in your mind that we can improve the way we grieve and talk about death online? My cousins have kids that are like 12 and 13. And I know that in the schools that they do have some sort of classes around like social media and the psychology around it. I don't know what's being taught, but I think similar to even how I feel like we do such a disservice in like sexual education for children. I think it's so important to teach them real life skills around our health, grieving, our mental health. And I think we really fail as a society around these topics. And I think that teaching around it and teaching empathy and, and how to handle these types of things from a young age as it's going to inevitably continue to happen, will be so helpful. You can follow Ray on Twitter, at Ray Witty. Now on to today's second story. New at 5.30 tonight, a graphic traumatizing suicide video circulating on social media right now is raising just a lot of concern among parents, the 211 helpline, and the Palm Beach County Sheriff's Office. WPTV News Channel 5's Arthur Mondale explains why parents are being strongly encouraged to monitor their children's online activity. Before we begin, a word of warning. The following episode deals with suicide. Listener discretion is advised. Sharing a video of a person's suicide on social media doesn't make you edgy. It makes you a piece of shit. So argues InputMag.com news editor Cheyenne McDonald in a recent piece. She adds that platforms such as Facebook and TikTok need to get a handle on this problem. Here she is reading an excerpt from her piece. The internet has a way of both deepening our connections to others and stripping away our sensitivities. Violence becomes throwaway content in the never-ending flow of material, there one moment and forgotten in the next. But these are real lives, not just some Netflix drama you can consume and obsess over and then move on from. Welcome back to the show, Cheyenne. Hey, Mark. Good to be back. So tell me about the incident that prompted you to write this piece. This was something that hit me kind of hard when I saw it around the internet and I felt like I had to write something about it. So at the end of August, a man named Ronnie McNutt live streamed his suicide on Facebook, which in itself, you know, that's a horrific tragedy. But after that happened, the video started popping up everywhere. It started out on a site like Hood site and on 4chan, which is kind of expected. But it also ended up on TikTok and on Twitter and Instagram. And some users reported that it was in their Snapchat stories. So suddenly you have this extremely gruesome and totally devastating footage popping up unexpectedly, not just to the people that had to see it originally, but to unsuspecting social media users who are just all of a sudden being confronted with something really awful. And... Just everything about the way it went down bothered me. Did you yourself accidentally see it? So I thankfully didn't see the full video. I I have a tendency to be wary of anything that looks a little sketchy because I grew up in the era of internet where this type of thing used to happen all the time. I mean, back on like E-bombs world days and stuff. 
So I saw the warnings about it and I looked into it a little further and I did not watch the whole video, but I did see a couple thumbnails, which I wish I did not see. So I mean, if it made it to me, I was like, this is making its way to a lot of people and it's fucked up. So what motivates people to share this kind of content? You seem to indicate that it's like a desire to be edgy. It's nothing new. Like I said before, especially on the days where forum-based platforms were a lot more popular, you would see these just like violent shock videos. And that's sort of kind of pushed to the fringes in recent years. But, you know, with things like Facebook Live, since that launched in, I want to say 2015 or 2016, there have been tons of things like this happening, murders, suicides, and people share them. They share them aggressively. They want to push them everywhere. And I, I mean, in some sense, yeah, it's people that are just trying to shock you to be, I mean, some people might not take it so seriously, which in itself is wrong. And they might just think like, oh, this is gruesome content. Haha, ha. I'm so edgy. I'm going to just push this everywhere. Other people are probably a bit more sinister about it. But from every end, there's really no good reason to share it. So whether you're just kind of being an asshole or it's darker than that, there's nothing good to it. It's not helping anybody. You reached out to a bunch of social media platforms for this story. Who did you hear back from? A lot of companies did not get back to me, specifically Facebook, which was kind of surprising because it started there. But TikTok was pretty quick to respond and to say that they were well aware of the issue and that they were kind of doing everything in their power to take it down. And same thing with Reddit. They also go back to us. But what's tough with something like this is that once it catches on, you know, it starts popping up in all different forms and just it's everywhere. So, yeah, a couple platforms did say that they were actively kind of chasing it down and getting rid of it. But it, I mean, at that point, it had been up for several hours on several sites. Are these platforms not doing enough, do you think? I would say Facebook specifically is not doing enough. Like I mentioned, we've seen violence like this in so many forms on Facebook Live, and they have been working at figuring this out for years now. And for whatever reason, they haven't been able to curb that yet. And that's a huge issue because these things reach a lot of people really quickly. So I don't know if I would go as far as to say that TikTok is not doing enough because it's kind of newer in the space and is figuring out its kind of newness with being viral all the time. But I think that no matter what, even with their best efforts, they could all do more. They can all do better. Thank you so much, Cheyenne. If you or someone you love is struggling with thoughts of suicide or self-harm, there is help available. The National Suicide Prevention Lifeline operates 24-7 and can be reached at 1-800-273-8255. You can also text Crisis Text Line at 741-741. You can follow Cheyenne on Twitter at underscore Shymac, and I am at Mark Yar. For more news from the world of technology and culture, visit InputMag.com. You can click on the links in the show notes for the stories we discussed today. New episodes of Input Output are released three times a week. If you enjoyed what you heard, please give us a rating and review on iTunes. You can find Input Output on your smart speaker or whichever podcast app you use. Thanks for listening. Thanks for listening.